381 with Miss Mitzi Purdue. For those of you who normally listen on YouTube, you are not getting this episode today, Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021 20, p.m. Or, excuse me, Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, 108 p.m. Eastern Time, because as of Saturday, the 27th, I've been suspended from YouTube for a week for uh, discussing things I wasn't supposed to discuss about a supposed election that may or may not have happened in November of last year. And that's all I'll talk about it because I don't want to get suspended again. But if you're on BitChute, Rumble, or Spotify, you're getting the goods today, as always. So, Miss Mitzi Purdue, how are you doing? Never better. Happy to be here. And, oh, in grief over your having you being in YouTube jail. I know, right? I know, right? It's, you know what? I had someone tell me last night, because the woman I had on, Claire Lopez, former CIA agent, 20-year veteran. Oh, I love. Oh, she's, she's so great. She's oh. a, she, I love her. She's an angel. Claire Lopez, CIA agent or former CIA agent, uh, 20-year veteran. Someone told me last night, they're like, you know, it sucks that you got banned from YouTube for a week. But they're like, that gave you internet street cred. And I was like, yes. they're like, how many people can say that they got their channel suspended because of they had a CIA agent on who was talking about... Uh, by the way, don't mention what it is. Uh, the the favorite <laughs> word to describe something that you're not supposed to and, until YouTube figures this out is Dwizabeam. She was talking about current Dwizabeams. Dwizabeam? I've never well, heard that. Plural. Dwizabeams, verbotens, wrong Yeah, things. I mean, it, it originally referred to one thing which we can't mention, but now it's a generic word. Okay. Dwizabeam is a generic word for something that the... Okay. Uh, the, the, the bots will pick up. Okay, Dwizabeam, verboten, wrong think. Um, so, you know, for everybody listening, episodes 289, 291, and 370 have all been banned for Dwizabeam, but they are available on Rumble, BitChute, and Spotify. So if, you know, you think that you're an adult and that you can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong, you can go listen to them. If you feel you need a supervisor or a chaperone, stay on YouTube. But <laughs> today's episode... Because because uh, Tommy Kerrigan is a Dwizabeam uh, grandmaster. Perpetrator. Guilty of high Dwizabeam. <laughs> and by the way, it was really literally did refer to one word that the censors would pick up, but now it's just generic. Now it's but a generic topic. You've committed a Dwizabeam. I've committed a Dwizabeam. I have been found guilty by the high court of big tech, and I will be hung till I'm dead. Well, <laughs> you know what? Okay. That's fine. But, but boy, you have to love them because I remember I grew up in Boston. And, boy, if a book was banned in Boston, oh, how, if you're a writer, you just wanted this desperately because that means that you, you, your book sales would soar. So, ah. so let's hope the same thing happens uh, with, with mass media. Yeah, right. It's, someone said yesterday, they're like, you know, it's kind of like when CDs would come out with the parental advisory sticker on. All that did was boost sales. So you know what? I'll, I'll take these suspensions. I'll take them with a smile. Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> so today, so Mitzi and I spoke uh, sometime in early January, and we talking about uh, her late husband, Frank Perdue, and began talking about his interest in, um, in Alexander Hamilton. And I thought it was interesting. And... I know you can talk on any subject. So I was like, how about we do a podcast about that? And I think it's interesting about why him? Why was his interest in him? I mean, everyone has their own people that they're most interested in, that they follow the most. I like Curtis LeMay. Um, but 
we all have our own interests. And to me, it just seemed unique, not good, not bad, not right or wrong, just unique about um, Frank's apparent interest in Alexander Hamilton. So how about you take it away, <laughs> Professor Purdue? I'm grabbing it. It's mine. Okay, well, first of all, Frank absolutely adored Alexander Hamilton, enough so that we actually went to Nevis Island to see where Hamilton grew up. But Hamilton wasn't the only person who fascinated Frank. Uh, I, I would say that he was an almost omnivorous intelligence. He like he liked uh, Andrew Carnegie enough so that he went to Dumfermline in Scotland to see where where Hamilton, uh, sorry, where uh, Carnegie grew up. Uh, I, I was with him on, on almost a pilgrimage to throughout several European countries to see where Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Adams, all of them spent time in Europe. And we went to some of the places where uh, where they did their thing. So he, he was just, oh, and he's very fascinated by Napoleon. So, of course, Napoleonic battlefields. Mm -hmm. He was, I mean, he, uh, he was deeply fascinated by history, and I think he took lessons from them. But since we talk, started talking about Hamilton, I'll, I'll tell you what he admired about Hamilton. Okay. He admired Hamilton for just being, how about 100% self-made? Hamilton's background was... Uh, I think he was ill well he was illegitimate uh he was you know in a a somewhat remote Caribbean island and yet he became a founding father of the whole United States and I, I think I think it moved Frank deeply that somebody just through grit and will and vision and ability to execute uh and for Frank the vision alone is nothing ability to execute it's something but you put the two of them together and, and you've got genius. And so I think he just utterly admired Hamilton's genius. I think he, Frank was interested in economics and one of one of Hamilton's sort of gifts to this country, and uh, I, I'm not sure I can defend it as, as Frank would, but I'll do my best. Hamilton felt that it was actually good to have debt in the country because that would be something that we could all unite around. You know, it's it, there's the value of debt in that if it's being spent on something that that makes you wealthier and better, yeah. great. But but then another factor is if we all share in debt, uh, for better or worse, that helps make it a United States rather than a Virginia or Massachusetts. It's you know we're all in this together. And I think Frank could have defended that point of view in a more sophisticated level than yeah. I do, but but I'm pretty sure that I'm directionally right. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it makes sense though, right? I mean, as a business tycoon like Frank was, he, he would have to associate with that. He would have to identify with that, correct? Oh, uh, yeah. But, but Frank, honest, he loved all the founding fathers and towards the end of his life, let's say the last five years of his life, which was... There was a period where, because of Parkinson's, he couldn't read. And so we would listen to books on tape. And that meant that I, because I listened with him, pretty much got to listen to every current book on tape about a founding father. 
I mean, he, if, we, if we're going on a trip, if we're going on a walk, I mean, he just, he loved studying the founding fathers. And by the way, how many, how many titans of industry would actually travel to Europe to see the places where certain historic events happened? Yeah, that's true, right? With the founding fathers. With the founding fathers, yeah. It's true, but you're right. You can almost find, right? I, I mean, I imagine like Bill Belichick probably watches videos of like, Vince Lombardi's coaching, right? I mean, if you can, if it's the same game being played, whether it's football or whether it's, you know, maneuvering masses of wealth, I mean, it's the same game being played. So why not go back and look in history? That's no different than like looking at NFL films, right? You're just going back and. Well, I, I love that way of looking at it because as far as I can tell, it's completely realistic. Yeah. He was something else I think people wouldn't expect about Frank Perdue. <laughs> He was a student of military history, and I used to be just blown away by watching when he would be in the presence of generals or admirals, and he could maintain his own discussing whether it was Alexander the Great or civil war battles, or he's particularly fascinated by Napoleon because he felt that yeah, Napoleon had genius, he had charisma, he had vision, he certainly had the ability to execute. But Frank took a lesson from Napoleon of what not to do, what how you know, somebody to be like the opposite of what you wanted to do. Because in the War of 1812, for everybody who happens to have studied the War of 1812, uh, and we're talking Napoleon's invasion of Russia, not, not what was going on in this country. But in Napoleon's invasion of Russia, all of Napoleon's advisors said, don't do it, look out for the weather, look out for morale, look out for disease. Don't do it. You just don't need to do it. You know, sit on all these wonderful things you've accomplished so far. You know, pretty much every one of Napoleon's advisors, including generals, secretaries, everybody said, don't do it. But Napoleon was so convinced of his own brilliance that he wouldn't listen to them. And the result was maybe one of the more smashing defeats in in all of history. Mm-hmm. You know the word decimate, which means like one in ten? Yeah. Oh, Napoleon, the Grand Army of the Republic. Oh, I forget. Could it have been half a million people who marched to Russia? 10,000 came back. Jesus. I mean, so it was a catastrophe on top of catastrophes. And... Yeah, the lesson that that Frank took from that is don't ever get so enamored with your own self that you Mm -hmm. stop listening to people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, isn't it just neat that somebody who had the responsibility of running a company that at that time employed 20,000 people, that he'd still take time to look at history and biography? Well, it it, it makes sense because, I mean, what you literally just said about Napoleon you know, don't don't get too big that you can't listen to others for advice. I mean, it would be the same thing if it was like Napoleon was good, but I run Purdue Chicken. It's the same thing. Don't get too big. It's like so. It's you have to go by learning it. He's instantly negating that that phenomena of getting too big, right? It's Hitler was a student of of, of history to an extent. I mean, hundred and thirty years after Napoleon, he tried to invade Russia during the winter. It's the same thing you get too big it's well napoleon was an idiot i'm the third reich i have bombers and tanks and it's it's same story just different day 
But, you know, Frank actually carried out in his life, and I got to witness it up close and personal, the idea of keep on listening to people. Don't think that you know it all. Mm-hmm. And one of his phrases was, none of us is, and, and it's not unique to him, but nevertheless, it is something that that he embraced. None of us is as smart as all of us. Yes. And so when he'd be in a, in a meeting, and you know, I got to see this over and over again, or how about continuously and almost without exception, I got to tag along on a lot of, of his business meetings, and I'm you know, endlessly grateful for how that happened. But, but here's what I saw. He would go into a meeting, maybe there are 10, 20, 30 people there, and he made sure that nobody knew what direction he wanted to take because you know if you're in the meeting with the big boss the person whose name's on your paycheck yeah there's such a temptation just to twist yourself into a pretzel so that you say what you think the big guy's going to want to hear but frank's attitude and i heard him say this i mean he said it to me there's a lot of wisdom in this room a lot of talent and experience and my job is to tap into it and if they're trying to guess what I want, uh, I'm going to miss out on it. Yeah. And so his approach was, A, he'd do everything he could to have people not know what he, what advice, what outcome he wanted. And he was perfectly willing to change his mind along the way. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe he actually did want this outcome, but he could easily be talked into, you know, somebody made a good case into changing his mind. He, he had great flexibility. And then uh, he was, he was very good at rewarding the people who argued with him. He had no use for yes men. And I, I, I'd i love to share a favorite example that I have of this. Uh, and I wonder if the person who told me this story might be watching this because I know that he's a friend of your father's. Okay. But here's the story. This man, he's in sales. And when he joined the company, and I think we're talking at least 30 years ago, yeah, about 30 years ago, the week he joined the company, he saw something that made him think, oh, no, I've joined this wonderful company and I was so happy to be you know, to be hired. And it's also wonderful. And here I've come the week that it all falls apart. The, and, you know, what did he mean by that? And of course, you know, I asked him and he said he was present at a, present at a sales meeting. And there were eight people in the room. There were, you know, like in this conference table, there were three on each side. And then Frank Perdue at one end and a guy named Don Mabe at the other end of the table. And Frank and Don Mabe had been had been arguing at a level that this guy who had just joined the company had never heard top management argue like that in his life and that's what was making him think oh you know a fight a fight yeah it's over a fight this big uh how do you recover from it and you know it it was it wasn't just a screaming match at one point don mabe took off his glasses threw them down on the conference table and by coincidence those glasses bounced once and hit Frank Perdue right in the chest. And while the glasses, his reading glasses, Don Mabe's reading glasses are on their, uh, in the air on their way to destiny with Frank Perdue's chest, 
Don Mabe is saying, why don't you just take up hang gliding? In other words, a, a, a life-threatening hobby. Yeah, why don't you try take up base jumping? Why, yeah, why don't you go swim with sharks? Yeah, I mean, and okay, so again, the person who's telling me this his first week in Purdue, and he sees an argument like that, and yeah, he's just sure this is irrecoverable. But to his amazement, uh, actually, I believe Don Mabe got his way. And and then he watched, yeah, with in jaw-dropping amazement as Frank Perdue and Don Mabe walked out the door together, uh, laughing and joking. And Frank respected Don Mabe for arguing. And I know that he he respected Don Mabe so much that when Frank Perdue decided to retire from the presidency, he appointed as his successor the person who had argued most with him over the last thirty years, Don Mabe. There's, there's. I think it's Eric Weinstein said. He talks about like nemesis, like the like the the trope of the nemesis, and it's your nemesis is the person that you argue with the most but it's also the person who is most competent to argue with you and your nemesis is also to fill all the categories it also has to be it's the person you want to beat so you can get the goal whatever it is but if you can't have it you were not mad if the nemesis gets it so it'd be like you know it'd be like um larry bird and magic johnson or something or the yankees and the red sox it's like you want to crush them to win the World Series, but if you can't win it and they do win it, you're not angry. You're not going to congratulate them, but it's just like you want because you know they're the next best. So Eric Weinstein says about Nemesis is it has to be someone that like you're going against like throat again. You know you're going at each other's yeah. throats, but if one of you can't win, you want to see the other win because it's like you respect their like love for the game. So it seems like that's what it is, like Nemesis. Okay, and that you, you just used the exact words that was were popping into my mind before you said it, and that is respect. I think Frank had endless respect for Don Mabe, first of all, because he did have good ideas. Uh, but second, uh, I think Frank had respect for somebody who would stand up to him, yeah. for somebody who cared so much about the game yeah. that that he would that Don Mabe would stand up to Frank. And since Frank had no use whatsoever for yes men, um, yeah, it was a real smart career move on Don Mabe's yeah. part. Although I doubt if he did it, yeah, it as a career move. I mean, he did it because that was his character. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it'd be something that he did intentionally for that, because that just kind of because if he was if he was solely doing it as a career move, then there's a much easier way to do that. And a person that is liable to do something purely for a career move is probably going to be a yes man and not an arguer. It's, right, it's a, and and Frank would have seen through it exactly. But, but I loved. To me, that was an example of Frank putting his ideology into practice. His ideology was Napoleon made a super catastrophic mistake by not listening to people. Frank listened to people. I mean, till the end of his days, he listened to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I you know I try to do that with this podcast. As I always try to, you know, early on, it was even before I I knew you, I had a guest. I think Dwayne Hughes. I think Dwayne's like 90 and he works at San Diego National Laboratory and he told me after we Whoa. spoke he was like it's very it was very nice to speak to you 
he was a young man cut down on the swearing. And I remember <laughs> in my mind, I was like, who is this old man telling me? But as it went on, and I remember you telling me, because you and I were watching TV, I think we were watching Trump talk. Yeah. And I remember he he said like, he said damn or, or bullshit or something. And like the crowd went crazy. And I remember you looked at me and you said, Tommy, you go, that's the importance of not swearing. And you're like, it's not because you need to be clean. It was like when you abstain from it, when you do use it, it has the power of an atom bomb. And that's when I was like, okay, drop the ego. Who are these people telling me to stop swearing? So I was like, oh, there's a tactical use to it. It's, 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 it's not cut it out entirely. It's cut it out so when you do use it, it's, you know, it's a freight train. And that's actually and, and that's that's my approach to swearing because I try to come off as ladylike and sweet and nice yeah. as if I might not even know the words. But when I use one gotta, yeah. <laughs> it, it has impact. I think I heard my mom use the F word once in thirty years. And you remember it. And it I has still remember impact. yeah, I still remember exactly what it was. I was like, Oh man. It was yeah, you're right, it has an impact. And Yeah, don't don't rob the don't rob the word the, the f-bomb of its bumliness yeah exactly don't turn it into just another adjective like it's yeah. just like what you know you just yeah now it's it's if you put an exclamation mark on everything if you read everything in all caps it doesn't you know it's kind of like when you see in the news it's senator whoever slams senator so it's like i've seen that word on every article every day for five years it doesn't mean anything anymore so, On the other hand, be proud of me with the word I just made up. Yes. We were talking about F-bombs, the bombliness. The bombliness. That is. That is Mitzi Purdue, 2021. Webster's oh, Dictionary. I am so proud of that. I don't know what to bombliness. do with myself. But you're right. I'm proud of, <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of myself. But that's but that's one thing I'm trying to do more is not let my ego get in the – when I have – you know, I'll have friends give me feedback on the podcast, unsolicited feedback. But it'll be, and it's, it always follows the same course of action. At first, I, 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 I clam up and I'm like, who is this person telling me how to run my podcast? This is my podcast. And then once I kind of hear it more and I hear it more from other people, and then I finally realize through my thick head that no one's saying it as an insult or an attack. They're just objectively saying, hey, just my two cents. If you did this, it would come across a lot better. Now I start to look at it and I'm like, oh okay it's no one's coming out to attack me it's like they're but if my ego gets in the way of it i can't look at actual advantageous constructive criticism and instead it's just they're angry at me and it's like no it's again that's why i bring on like my liberal friends so i can it's like it's an exercise in lowering my ego and it's like you can't always be right like literally like right politically and like and also in like correctness you can't also be correct you can't always have the right answer you know i sometimes write on what it takes to have a family last across the generations because my family of origin the henderson family began in 1840 181 years ago and among the things that i believe has kept us together and there's a whole bunch of things, and I give talks on this, but one of them is kids have to learn that you can't always be right. Yeah. And, and for that matter, I'm against teaching people, at least in a family argument, to st- I'm against standing on principle, because the moment you stand on principle, you're announcing to the world, I'm not listening to you, I'm not going to listen to the other side, I have closed my mind off. I'm infallible. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, maybe there, I, I can think of some principles 
on whose hill I would die. Uh, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that that's a dangerous thing once you close it off and I no longer am going to address that person because they're a Nazi. And it's like you have just you've you've what you've really said is I'm now sealing off the door and diplomatic relations are over. And it's like that doesn't actually do you know how it looks to me when somebody says that? First of all, they're virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. And I believe virtue signaling is invariably wrong. And here's why. Because virtue signaling is uh, it, it's so ego-filled. It's so self-important. Yeah. It, it's so grabbing respect that you haven't done anything to earn. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm totally against virtue signaling. Uh, I let's see somebody who is oh the case that you just get you know I hate you were a horrible Nazi. Uh, that person is signaling that they're closed-minded. They are signaling that. I think there's something wrong with them if they're so uh, self-righteous. Mm-hmm. I mean, the self-righteous people I know, they, <laughs> with just extraordinary frequency, the thing that they're self-righteous about is actually their secret vice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right? And it's, I mean, you see it again with, you know, you see it now in or 2020 and 2021. Trust the science. Just trust the science. And I agree. Trust the science. But as a student of science who studied it nonstop for four years, if you tr- if you first you often have to learn the history of the science when you learn like in chemistry 101, you first learn all the centuries where they thought they had it right and they had it wrong and just how wrong they were. So, yes, it's trust the science, but also understand that every century the slate almost gets wiped clean and you realize just how wrong you were so i mean that's like imagine saying in like the 1500s i just you know i think i think one day maybe we can colonize another planet and then you have everyone trust the science it's a flat square you moron and it's like dude if you hide behind trust the science like it doesn't the whole nature of science is it's like do not trust like yeah, break, break I mean, it down that, again and again i mean isn't that the essence of it you come up with an idea and you you try in every possible way to prove that it's not true. Yeah, you try to invalidate it. It's yeah, not, and then and then if it passes all the invalidations, uh, maybe you've got something. But meanwhile, don't ever don't ever trust because what's all right? A favorite example I have, and I think you know that I'm a science writer and a health writer mm-hmm. for almost forty years, uh, which means that I have all sorts of opinions on science. I love it dearly with all my heart and soul. However. Uh, trust the science, not the politicized science. And my favorite example, remember the food pyramid? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, where, where you know, very few fats, loads of carbohydrates at the bottom. Yeah, now they know it should be upside down. Yeah, but look what happened by trusting the science. You know, a couple of generations of people trusted the science. The, the recommendations came in around 1980, the food pyramid, maybe give or take a year but it that was the era when when it started that was also the era when exploding uh obesity began to take over the country and actually the world for that matter and with obesity comes heart disease strokes uh dementia real early on diabetes and then just all the misery that happens when when you think that you're following the science and eating the diet that they recommend you just get fatter and fatter and fatter yeah 
and and everybody and and my theory of why it took so long to uncover that that this was backwards was because imagine that you're a scientist who has recommended this diet yeah. which which we now are pretty sure in I'm not going to say in every case, but how about on a population population level, led to just untold amounts of human suffering and deaths? Your scientist who is scientist who is proposing that for you to admit that you are absolutely wrong, and I think I'll go with dead wrong. That's you can't admit it to yourself. Your mind's just going to protect yourself, and mm-hmm. I, I I would think that that's the essence of. An example of cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. You have a belief, and you can't let it go because to let it go, you have to admit, "I'm, I'm complicit in millions of deaths." Yeah, yeah. No, who who is a big enough person who would dare stare that fa- fact in the face? Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the doctors. You know, Doctor Smith. Like I always rely on a lucky strike. <laughs> Just. <laughs> 10 out of 10 doctors say it's the smoothest hit and it's like <laughs> right and now we have like x-ray scans on boxes of at least in australia i know they they put images of like destroyed lungs on the boxes and it's like Yay. trust the science dude just smoke the cigarette trust the science and so it's it's and we also okay. go on can, can i burst in because yeah. i don't want to send I mean, the story I just told is going to sound anti-science, but that's not my view. Uh, my view is that what went wrong with politicized science then was it was awfully hard to to undo a mistake because um, unless you follow the the old paradigm of the food pyramid, you're not not going to get grants for your studies. You're not going to progress in your career. There was just, there was a whole ecosystem mm-hmm. that was, how about sitting on top of the science that kept the science from, from correcting itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also know, I think it came out in like 2017, it came out that, um, that the, the I guess the grain and sugar industry was buying off Harvard scientists and Harvard doctors in like the 50s, 60s, and 70s to put out studies saying that these things didn't cause diabetes, which inadvertently led to the creation of the food pyramid. So it's we know in history there are actual cases of, of doctors being bought off to just say this because doctors in their white coats are the, are the, they're the high priests of the 21st century. So if we can get them to say something, you can then hide behind trust the science trust the science and like that doesn't mean don't you know yeah i mean definitely trust the science like take a multivitamin like wash your hands if you have an exposed cut you know put alcohol on it actually i'm not even in favor of of multivitamins okay well even then it's still well i'll tell you why okay uh you're so much better off just eating a healthy diet than than taking a pill yeah well for those that maybe can't afford it they're you know they have to eat freezer meals like multivitamins not bad well, okay I, I don't say they're bad but yeah, 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 a yeah, choice yeah. aim for for real food absolutely yeah it's absolutely it's you know aim for a good night's sleep and a workout not necessarily you know waking up and eating or having three uh, espressos but the point is is like it's very easy to hide behind trust the science because if anyone argues against it you're painted as a crazy person anti-science anti-science oh look at this guy's anti-science and it's like man it 
throughout history, the best scientists have been, quote unquote, anti-science, science being assigned to the widespread belief of the day. So if the widespread belief of the day is that if you travel across the ocean from Britain, you're going to hit India and you say, trust the science. Well, Christopher Columbus, he didn't trust the science. Galileo didn't trust the science. Copernicus didn't trust the science. Joseph Lister, the antiseptic method, <laughs> didn't trust the science. So to not trust the science, the best scientists in history didn't trust the science because the thing they weren't trusting was named science. It wasn't objectively science. Exactly. Oh, thank you for putting it into words because <laughs> I love science. I, th I think science is just a gift from heaven it's it's so useful but i don't think we're talking science when you when you talk about a scientific consensus oh no uh don't judge by consensus judge by are there people who will attack it and my gosh i'm just creating in my mind a a connection between napoleon who was so convinced he was right that he made a horrible mistake well, what about if the scientists who won't allow anybody to question them and you're going to get you're going to get uh into banned. youtube jail yeah. or banned or silenced if you question them why isn't that just like napoleon making a catastrophic mistake when you don't have a feedback mechanism to uncover mistakes it's game over it's, it's a yeah game over when you read your own press reports i mean Hitler's generals that disagreed with them or told them maybe you shouldn't invade the Soviet Union in the winter while you're fighting a, a Western front as well, they were fired or disappeared. So you quickly cull this herd and selectively breed for people who say yes. And then what happens? The whole thing collapses and he shoots himself in his bunker. Like, <laughs> that's where it goes. So, man, if you have to not only say trust the science, but when someone else comes up and says, here, here's a, I think this is different. And they, how is that any different than putting, was it Copernicus? Who, who got house, one of them got house arrested. Another one got burned at the stake. But the point is, is uh, one of the famous, it's Galileo, I don't remember who, was in house arrest for the rest of his life under the Catholic Church. And it's like, man, if you can't, if you can't even propose an alternative without just getting thrown in jail, that's insane. In fact, I would say that it's almost a proof that whatever they're promoting is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Or at the very least, they're not open to it being wrong. Maybe it is right. Maybe it is right, and maybe it works. But, for that but one my time. feeling is, if it's right, they don't need to defend it so much. Exactly. It's Saint Augustine. I said it a million times on this podcast. Saint Augustine. The truth is like a lion. It need it need not be defended. Only let out of the cage. It will. I like, love it, that. It'll ravage through the world. No one needs to defend that gravity is 9.81 meters per second squared. No one needs to defend it. If you don't believe me, like just step out of your second story window. You're going to find out very quickly that that's exactly what it is. And the, and the other thing is, if, if I give a different definition of, of gravity that happens to be incorrect, uh, yeah, the free marketplace of ideas is going to take care of it. I don't need to be banned or shadow yes. banned or canceled. You don't need to be ripped. It, it, exactly. It will cancel it on itself. It will lose. No one has to say... You know, uh, McDonald's is the best place to go eat when you're drunk at two in the morning. Like, no one needs to defend that thesis. When you're hammered drunk with your buddies and you're stumbling on a sidewalk and there's a 99 cent cheeseburger, 
you don't need to defend that thesis. You're going to get it. I mean, that's certainly been my experience the last five times. Yes, exactly. But that's what I mean, right? You don't need to defend. You don't. Nobody should get Burger King. Nobody should get Olive. No one's sitting down for a nice meal when you're twelve shots of whiskey deep. You're getting the burger and fries. It, you don't need to defend it. You don't need to suppress anyone else. You don't need to ban Chick Fil A or Burger King. You're just going to do. And if it shifts, it shifts. And it's so the whole thing of trust the science is yes, trust the objective science. But what are you labeling science? Just like YouTube, you know, we have new we have new standards that say that you cannot promote coordinated hate on the surface. Yeah, it sounds sure. Maybe your company, you don't want people hating. Yeah, whatever. That's your company. I think it's a violation of free speech, but it's your company. Okay. Could you define what hate is? Uh, No. Could you tell me who is defining hate? No, that's proprietary information. So what is hate? It's you, you didn't follow the laws. The laws. Well, What's the law? Well, if the law is that, if the law of the land is it's okay to own other human beings in like pre-1860s, well, now it's not, you're not following the law. The law, it's back to the founding fathers. It, it, in a, if a law is unjust, it is your, what is your moral obligation to break the law? So who's defining what? So if it's trust the science, well, who's defining science? And furthermore, if that person defining, quote, science is also banning off platforms the digital uh, town square that now in the time of covid is the only is the only town square available if you just ban anyone that questions your science your science and not only that but the people pushing for other people to get banned are also the ones who are making a lot of money off vaccinations there's that <laughs> by the way are we going to get dwizabined for this i don't know i don't think so because we haven't touched on the the holy of on what dwizabine we haven't given dwizabine language we haven't touched on the king dwizabine we haven't touched right. on the big one the verboten that you cannot talk or as i call it the american tiananmen square because you cannot, you can't. So that's just what it is. It didn't happen. We just can't talk about it. Unless, of course, you're on Rumble or BitChute or Spotify, you are you are now cleared. You are now read into the uh, the private program of what Twizabeam is. But if you're on YouTube, I'm sorry, you just you haven't been given that classification. But yeah, it's an odd, odd world because now what else can you hide behind science as? When, when else can you say trust the science? How long until you have to? You know, early on in, you know, 1933 in Germany, it was uh, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Foschman says in his book KL, which I haven't even finished yet. It's a 33-hour audiobook. I started it last year and had to stop. But early on, the people in, in the, what would become the concentration camps, first of all, they weren't concentration camps. They were temporary detainment facilities. And they were communists. And when the communists would go, you'd only have to go for like 48 to 72 hours they would smoke with the guards. They'd play games. It was very much just like, hey, you're just kind of in time out. And then every once in a while, they start to return home, and maybe one in ten would have a black eye. And it would be like, oh, yeah, no, he got riled, he got roughed up. And when you look at it from that mechanism, then you see how it just keeps dialing. Well, a communist is an enemy to the state, and you know the Reich, the Reich mark is, 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 infl- is going through hyperinflation. We have to do everything to defend the state. Okay, okay, get it, putting people back in work. But as you just dial it up more, well, now it's not just communists. Now it's uh, threats to national security. Now it's anti-socials. Now it's, um, and then you start going into, and then you start changing the terms to what? Unhygienic, racially impure. And next thing you know, you're putting 6 million Jews on trains and bringing them to a, a walled off field and you're putting them in a gas chamber. And then you go, how did that happen? This is how it starts. I with bet. the control of language. 
with the control of one. You don't call it, hey, we're going to incinerate every one of Judeo-Christian values. No, you start with uh, these communists have been antisocial troublemakers. And everyone goes, well, I don't want to be an antisocial troublemaker. I trust the science. That's coordinated hate. If he got banned from YouTube, he should be banned from YouTube. How do you think it starts? It's It doesn't... Just like this. Just like this. Yeah. And then when you start to realize, why do they want your guns? Huh. It's probably because they're going to do something that warrants your response to include a gun. Right? If someone wants to take your... If I'm going, Mitzi, just get rid of your but gun. But wait, are, are we on a Dwizabinian subject? I don't know yet. We're going to find out. We're going to find out this Sunday when I can upload uh, episodes again. I think so far I don't... But even there... By the way, let, let's use for... Um, I'm, I'm making a symbol now. Can, okay. you, can you guess? I think we can talk about... I think we okay, that's about, a Dwizabin. Okay. No, I don't think it is yet. No? No. Because I've only gotten banned for one topic. Now, mind you, when they started censoring, they started with Alex Jones three years ago, and then they went to Marley Yiannopoulos, on and on and on. Next thing you know, President Trump. How does it happen? Well, you start with one, and then you move it forward. So what are we doing now? We cannot discuss an event that happened in the United States on November 3rd, 2020. Okay. Well, now that they have, once they banned Alex Jones, the importance wasn't that they banned Alex Jones. It was that they were able to do a coordinated ban of an individual doesn't matter who that individual was or what the reasoning was for once it became normalized that someone can be deplatformed then the floodgates are open and a couple years later you get president trump gone so what we're seeing now is it's not just i i try not to get distracted as to why i got a suspension discussing an election that's not the important thing you might be wondering how is it not important it isn't no 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 it's not it's the fact that now it's not individuals who are being banned. There is now a new threshold, a topic. And now that they can set that precedent of you get banned if you discuss this topic, I would bet I would bet my life savings, though paltry, that soon the next topic will be COVID vaccinations. I think it'll probably be a couple months. But now you're going to have two topics. Now you're going to have two topics that you cannot discuss. After that, and it grows. I mean, it's grows like a and cancer. Grows and, grows. and then very soon it's going to be if you mention the Republican Party, you're canceled. And you're going to go, How did this start? And you're going to go, Well, it started with one little thing. But that is their new thing is there's now a topic that you can't discuss. Wow. We got to wrap this one up, though, Mincy, because I have on after this, I have uh, Derek Gibson, who's running for governor of New York to replace. Cuomo. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This podcast. Well, I had a super time, and as always, I have to. I have to tell you something. A great disappointment. You ready for a great disappointment? Uh, I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> How did you guess? No, I, I have ordered um, one of your t-shirts, and right. it didn't come in time. What? Well, now I am. Now I am ashamed of myself. Oh well, no. Hey, the, the order was recent. I thought. The one there, there, we ordered one for my son. Yes. Okay, and then I thought, oh, I'd really like another one, and I want to wear it. When was that? so? The, uh, I asked, I asked the uh, person who works with me to order it, and I asked her yesterday morning. I'm not sure if when think, the order got in. I don't think it's but, been but in. obviously not in time to uh, to show it off here. I, I, mean, I wanted to model it. I am ashamed of myself, Mitzi. And I apologize. I will get on that well, immediately. Unfortunately, there not, are no employees, so it's just going to be me yelling at me. I'm going to go put on my merch hat, and I'm going to start yelling at myself. What are you doing? And then I'll take the merch hat off, and I'll, you know, like a true sane person. 
Like like the rest of us. Like okay, go get ready for your fabulous next interview. Okay. And th- when we see each other next, I will be wearing something really fashionable. Yes. Thank you, Mitzi. As always, I love you. Thank you for coming on. And I'll text you when it's up. And I'll also get to the merch thing as soon as the next episode's over. Woohoo. Okay, I can't Mitzi. wait. Thank okay, you. Mitzi. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Take, take care. Bye-bye.